Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club where three of us, non-historians, pick a year at random and we try to learn things about it. And I'm Ant, and I'm here with my two friends, Anna and Will. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Good. I don't know why we do that still. <laughs> I think it's great, although every time we do it, when one of us says, I'm here with my two friends, I wonder if people think, are those their only two friends? Well, they are. They are. Anyway, this week we're talking about the year 1917. Banger. And so... What we need to do now is the three-word previews. So please, Will, what is your three-word preview? Trip to Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. Okay. Anna? (laughs) Uh, Mine is mysterious, maligned, mistaken. Mexico. Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) And mine is New Jersey conspiracy. Oh, wow. There are so many I can think of. Oh, yeah, for sure. Today, I'm going to talk about a conspiracy theory for a change, which is my favorite. It actually favorite. has been a while. It has since been a you while. I've been about... talking too factual. Yeah. And we're going to get real yeah. deep, oh, deep great. into a conspiracy in New Jersey. <laughs> and this one does indeed take place in New Jersey, USA, in a place called Kingsland, mm. which uh, is now called Lindhurst. It renamed itself post, I'm mm. assuming. Oh, a conspiracy. rebrand. Yeah. Do you know Lindhurst, New Jersey? I. Can lie and say, sure, I've sure, heard of I'm, it. I'm assuming you know all the small towns Every single in one. the US. All of them. Anyway, picture the scene. It is January the 11th, 1917. The petrochemical refineries are churning out pollution. You're getting uh, pretty close. Oh, really? You're pretty close. Okay, okay. You're cool. pretty close. Uh, we're right on the cusp of the US joining the First World War. And the sentiment is largely anti German at this stage, pretty pro Europe and pretty pro Russian, which is. A market change from today. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of detractors about entering the war. It's expensive. It's a war. Wars generally aren't like a super good idea. 
<laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Hot All take. of history would beg to <laughs> yeah. differ. Yeah, and I mean, they, they keep coming back to it. Um, but the US is supplying arms and ammunition to the European powers. Uh, notably, uh, Russia, they're providing uh, bombshells for their artillery. And one of the large ammunition manufacturer plants was in Kingsland, New Jersey. Oh, it's actually about a plant. It is about a manufacturing oh, plant. Good job, Jersey, living up to your stereotype. <laughs> and this is <laughs> this is one which is called, bizarrely, I have no idea why, but it's called the Canadian Car and Foundry Company. Oh. Yeah, so they do uh, Canadian cars and... I guess foundries. Foundries. Yeah, for forges and stuff. And this is their munitions plant in particular, which is what you need to have to make artillery, I'm assuming. Uh, they make artillery shells and other kind of bomb paraphernalia. I'm assuming like the ramrods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I, I don't really know how artillery works after Master and Commander is my only <laughs> Yeah, you've got the, the lollipop stick you, you bang yeah, down yeah, yeah. there. Then the fluffy one to rinse it out. got the fluffy one to rinse it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got the guy that lights the fuse. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah, exactly. All that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, January 11th would be the last day for this particular munitions factory. Oh, no. Because... A fire broke out at the plant, Ooh. leading to a series of massive explosions yeah. that destroy the facility, which is like just not good. No, I, I would say a fire <laughs> at an ammunitions plant is going to be top three, top three bad, bad places place to, have to have a, a fire. fire. Yeah. yeah. Miraculously, though, there were no fatili- fatalities. Fat- how about how, any futilities? There were no futilities <laughs> or fatilities. There was no fatalities. Oh, that's actually shocking. It is shocking. And I'll tell you why in a second. Okay. Um, the explosion caused significant damage and thousands of work- workers were left unemployed after this. So it's a yeah. big impact just in the local community. Um, and I have a few excerpts from a newspaper at the time to sort of go into detail of how bad the explosion was. Mm. The explosion was really bad. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask him if you could read them in like an old timey newspaper man voice. You see the explosion? Real- no, okay. Oh. No, that's really bad. It's a good try though. It's a good try. <laughs> so... Uh, Whatever happened, the building was in flames in an instant. Ten minutes passed before the first and mightiest explosion. In those ten minutes, panic broke loose in the plant. It is believed that there were 1,400 men working in the factory. Each of these realised what would happen if fire caught hold of any of a dozen isolated buildings. Then came the first great roar. It is said that a building in which the loaded shells were stored was the first to go. The terrible blast spread the panic, which had hitherto been confined to the factory yard, to Kingsland and the adjoining village of Lyndhurst. Mm. After the first detonation came the steady roll of bursting shrapnel and high explosive shells. In a minute, the little Jersey town was transformed into villages upon the European battlefront. Oh. Uh, that, man, they really... They really, they really juiced knew up how to the, write yeah, back the d- then. drama. Yeah. Um, but that it just good kind of shows the scenes of chaos. I mean, like if you can imagine this massive yeah. industrial ammunition producing place going up in flames. It'd be terrifying. Uh, uh, so why did everyone why did everyone live? Fourteen hundred men. Um because of one woman. God. What <laughs> not not God. <laughs> to to that's silly. And God's obviously a man. Um but <laughs> uh, there was a woman named Teresa Louise. Tessie McNamara, and she worked at the switchboard of this ammo uh, facility, and she's credited with saving the 1,400 lives. Despite the fire raging, she stayed at her post at the switchboard wow. and called every single building. Uh, and so, you know, the whole old-timey, like, you, uh, you plug in a thing, you plug thing, in a thing. Plug in the new one. So it wasn't yeah. even, like, dialing a load of numbers. She had to, like, physically, like, connect wires and stuff like that. And she stayed there uh, in of being told to go and she gave him the, 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 the warning which she called him up and said and she said get out or go up 
Is it real? Okay. (laughs) So I appreciate how pithy that is. But in the moment, if someone screams to me down the phone, get out or go up, I'd be like, go, sorry, go up where? Back in those days, though, those kind of pithy retorts and stuff were really like, especially from a day. Yeah, Uh, exactly. There's a broad on the phone telling me to go up. (laughs) Yeah, so slip the make it to the gym. Yeah, Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Ah, Tess. So as a result, though, no one died. The workers could flee across the frozen Hackensack River to safety. Yeah, and, I have uh, heard of that river. Uh, yeah, it's a great, great river. I think that's where they did hack, Hacky Sack comes from there. I that's think. right. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that is right, correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now we get to the cause and the conspiracy and the cause of the fire that led to the explosion and has been subject to debate and conspiracy theories ever since that date. It was old Tessie McNamara. Maybe it was an inside job. (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe it was. Well, and the conspiracy theories, and it is plural, and we might even make some more today. Why not? (laughs) Who knows? They're pretty fascinating. At the time, the first thought that this was the plot of a German saboteur. Mm. Yeah. uh, Who had... (laughs) (laughs) obviously well the look on will's face this whole time has been like i'm just waiting for this (laughs) so so the idea was that i mean there was sorry it was a world war and it was an ammunition factory yeah supplying the enemy the u.s the u.s was not in the war no it was just no no supplying not at this point 1917 january you said january on the cusp okay very cusp yeah cusp um so they were cusping real hard, but they weren't just right in there just yet. Um, but the idea was that a German saboteur who may have infiltrated the plant mm. and then caused it to go up in an attempt to dis- disrupt the supply chain of the ammo that's being sent to fight the Germans and the Tsar. That the- seems legit. Yeah. Um, so, and the Germans did have form for this, you know. They've been known to dabble in uh, su- subterfuge because in 1916, again in Jersey City, at the Black Tom Munitions Depot, there was an explosion that had been attributed to the to German sabotage as well. So there is sort of okay. form to this. Yeah, I'm convinced. However, <laughs> oh. during the course of the investigation by the Department of Justice and the Bureau of Investigation, which would go on to become the Federal Bureau of mm, Investigation, mm-hmm. um, they did discover several employees were German nationals. Uh-oh. Some of whom... So they did it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Kill them! So we'll get to that now. But some of whom were then subsequently arrested and interned as uh, enemy aliens, as they were known. So like they were interned these afternoon. So they came from outer space? (laughs) (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Which conspiracy is that? Hold on that point, because we're going to get there. Oh, wow. So it's easy to draw that conclusion that it was the Germans looking back because... You know, the Americans did enter the war on the side of the Allies, and this did happen after this. You know, it's, it's easy to look back and yeah. say this is the cause. Um, but it's not the single thing that pushed them over the edge. It's just one of the right. many geopolitical reasons. So there were other conspiracy theories afoot, though, which I'm a big fan of. Um, some thought that this was perhaps a false flag operation. Uh-oh. Whereby... To spur the national debate into an anti-German sentiment and to launch into World War One, the hawks and you know, in the deep uh-huh. state, um, were going to uh, you know set this on fire, set this thing, and they'd be, oh look at those oh bloody Germans, yeah, you know, let's, get, let's, them let's, go, let's get them all riled yeah, up, yeah, exactly. Um, others thought that perhaps this was an insurance scam, uh, but or an attempt to push up the price of munitions by the Canadian car and foundry company, you know, reduce the supply, increase the demand. Classic Canada, uh, those grifters. <laughs> Classic macroeconomics, I would say, yeah. Um, but wait, there is yet one more conspiracy theory, <laughs> oh. and it's my favourite. 
Does it involve the Medici's? Nope. <laughs> Aliens. Really? Yep. Wow. <laughs> some people, some enlightened people, uh, think that some alien force or higher powers... Oh my God. <laughs> ...decided to blow up the ammo dump in an attempt to prevent the US from entering the war or choking the supply of ammo in favour of the Germans. So they thought that some pro-German aliens existed <laughs> uh-huh. or anti-war aliens. True. Uh, and this or, is like actual aliens. Yeah, yeah, at, yeah, or two rival factions of aliens. It was a big ap- explosion. It could have been both acting. They could have been... They, two normally warring factions of aliens <laughs> yeah. have united for, for this... Common co- for common cause. Yeah. I see. Enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um... <laughs> So people actually do 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 do, do think that, God, which is Americans. a bit, uh, you know, Just. interesting. Um, so uh, the Bureau of Investigations investigation. Uh, that, maybe I shouldn't have said that. No, <laughs> anyway, I, I, their, their investigation exactly concluded. Right. Yeah, they found no evidence of aliens. Obviously, oh, um, that's that's an inside job. <laughs> but they actually found no evidence of sabotage or German interference or involvement in any way, and so they concluded. You know, yeah, well, of course, what the feds are going to say, yeah, no aliens yeah. here, guys. Um, that was probably caused by a workman's hammer creating a spark that ignited some flammable waste. What? Now, I don't need to be a detective to say that probably is what could have happened. <laughs> you know, I don't think they really looked at this too hard, to be honest. Oh, but come on, a workman's hammer creating a spark, that must happen hundreds of times yeah. a day. Uh-huh, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. I think they really need to release the emails, you know, and yeah, then we can see for ourselves. absolutely. <laughs> Let's get into that server. We all know it, though. I'm rooting for aliens, right? But the, the one kind of interesting twist in this, though, in this conspiratorial tale, is that while the feds couldn't pin it on the Germans, uh, in 1934, the Germans were up in court for reparations for it. So a chap took them to court on behalf of New Jersey, uh, and the Germans denied it for years. They had any involvement in this whatsoever. Yeah. But, but finally, in the 1950s, they settled. Wow. And they settled for $50 million. Jesus. Just paid to... Just paid to... New Jersey? Uh, I, I can't remember the specific guy, but, you know... Yeah, wow. This, this, this guy that took the court case uh, on behalf of New Jersey and the Canadian car company. But they never admitted guilt to it. Yeah. But yet they settled and paid. To make it go away. Hmm. Yeah, because they're trying to cover up for the aliens. That's a thinker. <laughs> they're alien deity overlords. Yeah. Um, $50 million famously to aliens is 17.5 blork, blork bucks. Def- defund the aliens is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for being brave enough to say that. Yeah. Hang on, so how, what, what, so how much is a blork buck worth now? In 2023? In 2023, yeah. In 2023, Thanks, blurk, blurk Obama, <laughs> who is actually the name of the alien president. Anyway, that is the end of my conspiratorial tale of what happened in New Jersey in 1917 when an ammo dump blew up and I really made a mountain of molehill of a very, very small event. So you're you totally sure welcome. You sure did. Well of done. all the things that happened in 1917, I chose this ridiculous thing. <laughs> I feel like that is good whenever we get these really big years. You should choose the stupidest <laughs> thing that happened. Yeah, and thankfully no one died as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I, fair play to Tessie. Like, Love like, Tessie. She, yeah, she really stuck it to the... She's definitely working with the aliens. Explosion. Get out or go up. Get out, get out, or, go out, get or, go out up. or go up. <laughs> Hold on, just changing my Tinder profile. <laughs> Today, I'm talking about a woman named Margareta Gertruida Zeller, whom you may know as Matahari. Oh, yes. I I don't know anything about Matahari. I just know that she existed. Yeah. And she was a woman. 
Exactly. And maybe one other word you associate with her? Dutch. Sexy. Great. But both are good. I was looking for spy. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Sexy Dutch spy. <laughs> Basically. So I'm glad we're all working from the same base layer of information, <laughs> which is that she was a woman and she existed. And she was Dutch. <laughs> uh, she was born in the Netherlands in 1876. And when she was 18, she saw an advertisement in a newspaper by a Captain Rudolf MacLeod, who was living in the Dutch East Indies and looking for a wife. Oh. And she answered the ad. And four months later, they were married. Wow. And she moved to Indonesia. Wow. Yeah. That is... So she answered a classified yeah, ad. Like a Lonely Hearts ad. That's and amazing. Then, I know. Good for I'm, them. I'm wondering if those still exist. They do. Okay, well, I will see you guys in four months. I'm off to Indonesia. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this might surprise you, but it turns out that an older man soliciting a younger woman through a newspaper ad did not lead to (laughs) wedded bliss. Uh, Rudolph was a very bad man. He was an alcoholic. He was abusive. The doctors diagnosed him with tropical frenzy. (laughs) Which oh, is like wow. just the the most nineteenth century disease I can think was, of. Was the treatment like cocaine and laudanum or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, what he definitely did have was syphilis, uh, which he did give to Margaretha. Oh, and then she gave to her children, uh, and that was very sad. But when she wasn't caring for syphilitic children or escaping her husband, she used her time in Indonesia to study Indonesian culture and join a local dance company. Mm-hmm. And in 1897, she took the artistic name Matahari, which means eye of the day or like the sun in the local Malay language. And eventually the couple make it back to the Netherlands where they divorce. Yay. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a custody battle and Matahari is trying to get money to to get her daughter back. Um, And she starts trying to earn it respectably. She Mm -hmm. gives piano lessons. She teaches German and she does some modeling for a department store. She performed as a circus horse rider for a bit. I thought she's I just, I thought you were going to say she's performed as a circus horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is. Times are tough. Yeah, but, you uh, not was, all circuses can afford horses. That's right. Some need um, Harry's. Um, but then she m- moves into modeling for painters, which is okay. the nice way of saying she's a nude model. Ooh. Yeah. I was a nude model once. I move on. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> Can't get a flag that I mean, one. no one was drawing me, but I, <laughs> I was at the bus stop. People were taking pictures. It's the same thing. That's true. That's fair. That's art. I should have moved straight on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually like to dig into that deeper. Uh, so as she's modeling for painters now, she's starting to make contacts in the art and the theater world. And in 1904, she becomes, much like you, Aunt, uh, an exotic dancer. <laughs> She's basically an overnight sensation, and her act is her as this Javanese princess. She's working lots of oriental motifs into into her act. Her jewelry, her costumes are very sort of Indonesian Mm. and Asian-inspired. She dances at La Scala in Milan in the opera in Paris, and she's seen as the one who really elevates erotic dance to respectable status. I'd be lost without her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. Yeah, you do credit her with a I lot do have of to, your, Yeah, I do yeah. really have to, yeah. So she's mingling in these very posh circles, and she's posing for many provocative photos. Um, 
But by 1910, lots of imitators have cropped up and they're all kind of devaluing the art. And so mm. critics are now saying that erotic dancing is cheap exhibitionism rather than anything sort of high art or, yeah. or something to be esteemed. Uh, her career goes into decline and in 1915, she performs her last show. But at this point, she's made so many good contacts that she becomes a courtesan. And she has relationships with lots of important people in the military and politics, all the kind of, you know, tutti frutti. No, that's not what it's called. Tutti. Snooty. Tutti frutti. Tutti frutti people <laughs> that you'd expect. And she's traveling all over Europe with these men. And so she starts to get a reputation as a promiscuous woman and a dangerous seductress. Ooh, a dangerous seductress. Yeah. That is exactly what you want to be described as. Yeah, exactly. Well, she is like, she's kind of the early prototypical femme fatale, right? Yeah, She's yeah, this yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So World War One breaks out. Matahari becomes involved with a Russian pilot serving with the French, but in summer 1916, he's shot down. And she wants to go see him in a battlefield hospital, but the French won't allow her near the front because she's from a neutral country, which I guess was a thing. She's Dutch, the Netherlands are neutral. Instead, Asians from the Deuxième Bureau, which was French military intelligence, tell her that she can see him if she agrees to spy for the French, which is like a weird bargain. But they also offer her a million francs, which is nice. Okay. Yep. And the target of her espionage is Crown Prince Wilhelm of Germany, Prussia, whom she had performed for several times before the war. I mean, that's quite punchy. Like, oh, yeah. You want to be a like, spy. Like, be a spy, go get... Who do you want me to be? Like, some sort of low-level officer, yeah. the postman? No, no, the, no. The, the, go get the guy. Get the guy. Yeah, get, get the, the, the crown oh. prince. Um, and Duzian Bureau thought that he was this really important piece of the military puzzle. He is nominally a senior general, but in reality, he's a playboy, a womanizer. He's a drunk. He has very little to do with the army. And all of the stories about him in the media were just propaganda. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And to emphasize that Kaiser Wilhelm had a strong line of succession. But French military intelligence did not know this. Yeah. So great job, French military well, intelligence. The French military intelligence are renowned for being very, very good. So I refuse to comment on the French military intelligence or they will not pay me my one million francs. <laughs> you stay away from the king. <laughs> So anyway, they think he's this big fish. They task Matahari with seducing him and getting information about German battle plans. She agrees. 
And she makes her way to Madrid to arrange a meeting with a German military attache named Arnold Kalle, K-A-L-L-E, asking if he could then introduce her to the crown prince and arrange this meeting. And this is where things start to get murky. Apparently, at this point, she also offered to sell French secrets to the Germans. However, it's unclear if she was offering those secrets as a way to get the meeting Mm. or if she just wanted the money and was willing to be a double agent. In December 1916, French Intel lets her get the name of six Belgian agents, one of whom was a double agent for Germany and France. Mm. And two weeks after she receives this information, the Germans execute the double agent. So the French are very suspicious that Matahari has passed on the name. Why are they giving her names in the first place? Yeah, it's really it's unclear. Like, I would assume that if you're going to be like, hey, we're going to recruit you to be an agent. It's like, yeah. okay, that sounds good. By the way, here's a bunch of secrets. Yeah. Don't tell anyone, though. Well, it's a little bit of like, so she's she's clearly not a trained spy. And so I, I'm guessing it was probably some sort of miscommunication of, all right, is she literally just a honeypot, like, go yeah. seduce well, this guy? A lot of the skills. Or do we need to give, give her something to dangle in front of them, you know? Or they're trying to test her. Or they're trying to test her, or maybe she seduced one of them. I don't yeah. know. She's a promiscuous woman. Dangerous seductress. Dangerous seductress. Like it. <laughs> um, as it says on my tramp stamp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> in comic sans MS. <laughs> oh, I would never. I would never. In January 1917, the German guy, Major Kala, transmitted coded messages to Berlin describing the very helpful activities of a spy referred to as H21 and giving details that clearly identified anyone listening or identified to anyone listening that this was Matahari. But those messages were sent in a code that the Germans knew the French had already broken. Mm -hmm. So were the Germans intending to give her up? Uh Or are we now in another sort of loop of of murkiness? Or maybe they were trying to throw suspicion off her. Yeah. There's a whole load of double bluffing, triple Triple, bluffing. Octuple bluffing at this point. But apparently the chief of German intelligence was annoyed with Matahari for not giving him any worthy intel. She had only just like told him who was sleeping with whom. Um, And that wasn't good enough for him. So he decided to terminate her employment by exposing her as a German spy, which is a way to do it. Yep. Uh, So the French are pissed about this. They think it's enough to arrest her. So they do. They charge her with espionage. In July 1917, the trial commences. And from the get-go, it's pretty farcical. The deck is stacked against her. Um, French and British intelligence suspect her of spying for Germany, but neither of them can produce any definitive evidence. One of her prosecutors says that because she was dubiously portraying the persona of Matahari in her act rather than just being her regular Dutch self, that means she's a dishonest character. Mm, fair. Which is legit. That's, fair. Wh- that's why I yell at any actress who plays somebody <laughs> other than herself. <laughs> Um, her handler from the from the French bureau tampo- tampered with evidence to help prove her guilt, and her lawyer was denied permission to cross-examine any witnesses. Doesn't sound like a super fair. Doesn't sound trial. like a super fair trial. Yeah. Now, Matahari did admit that she had accepted twenty thousand francs from a German diplomat who was a former lover. Who hasn't? <laughs> 
I know. <laughs> Let I mean, he without 20,000 francs from a German diplomat cast the first stone. <laughs> all my ex-German diplomatic lovers have paid me to never talk to them again. <laughs> I do appreciate that they all pay you with francs as well. <laughs> they do, it's they entirely do. Just go useless spend this in currency. <laughs> yeah. um, but she claimed that that was reimbursement for possessions that had been taken by the German authorities. Mm. She vehemently de- denied that she was a spy. She declared her passionate love for France. Um, But the prosecution accused her of revealing details about their new weapon, the tank, saying that the information she had leaked had caused the death of 50,000 soldiers. But no one could identify any specific detail or any battle that had been lost because of anything she had said. Yeah. Ultimately, she was convicted and sentenced to death. Well, yeah, the evidence is clear. (laughs) (laughs) Black and white. It's an open and shut case. Better safe than sorry. Yeah, better safe than sorry. So after spending a few months malnourished in a vermin-infested prison, she was executed by a firing squad on the 15th of October, 1917. Um, She wasn't bound. She refused a blindfold. And she defiantly blew a kiss to the men before they fired. Which, say what you will about her. Pretty badass. Pretty badass. Was it hard to shoot her, though? Because she kept on... (laughs) She kept on, like, moving her body. And there's like, (laughs) ah, the bullets can't... I'm sorry, she did die. (laughs) Um, In the years since she's died, her case has been endlessly debated. And it seems like there's a growing consensus that she wasn't actually a spy, but rather a scapegoat that the French badly needed to deflect from the way the war was going for them. Um, Because earlier in 1917, there had been several huge mutinies by French soldiers. There were strikes all across the country. And a new government led by Clemenceau was elected and had really vocally committed to winning the war. And so Matahari was held up by this government as an example of what might happen if your morals were too loose. Yeah, mm. I, I can sort of yeah, I can sort of see that as a good poster. Yeah, you know, for, like, oh, uh, you know, <laughs> like she stepped out of line, but if you're a good French citizen, yeah. you know. But it just seems like vaguely kind of like anti woman. Oh and, totally. And like, you know, oh like, the whole I haven't whole even thing. scratched the surface of the anti woman stuff. I don't want to get a reputation. As being pro-woman. As being a woman. (laughs) (laughs) And since the war, uh, various governments have released documents about her, none of which clearly exonerate her, but none of which definitively prove her guilt. The German government actually exculpated her in 1930. So unlike with your guy, Mm. they, they, they... cleared her name they didn't just sort of settle it and hope it went away Uh, and the matahari foundation which might be biased says that at (laughs) most she was a quote low-level spy who provided no secrets to either side um but whatever you believe uh she she was executed there were of course rumors that the executioners had fired blanks and she had escaped However, her body was, in fact, donated to the Museum of Anatomy in Paris, who then embalmed her head. However, however, (laughs) in the year 2000, archivists at the museum realized that the head had gone missing and remains missing to this day. No way. Yeah. Do you think she'll be alive? She's probably still alive. Yeah, (laughs) She's probably still alive. But if not, if you're listening and you have Matahari's head, let us know. I'll just give it back. (laughs) I don't want to know. Just give it back and honestly. Just give it back. Yeah. Goes anyway, to show. So yeah. that's the story of Mod Hari, um, which I had known very, very, very little about. 
No, I didn't know anything about it either. Yeah. But I will never hire an exotic dancer to be an agent of mine. <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever again. again. You yeah. will still hire exotic dancers, though. Oh, yes. And I hope to be hired myself <laughs> as either an exotic dancer, a spy, or both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very favorable rates. Uh, so you just find if... it on our website, randomlygeneratedhistoryclub.com. <laughs> yeah. Slash careers. <laughs> slash careers. <laughs> slash join our team. <laughs> Good. Okay, this week I'm in North America, and we're talking about a spot of bother between a country called the United States of America (gasps) and another country called Mexico. No one in America says a spot of bother, Will. (laughs) You have to call it a rootin' tootin' shootout. And specifically (laughs) this rootin' tootin' shootout. Nailed it. Uh, is one uh, between the United States and a guy called Pancho Villa. Aha. Uh-huh. And we're talking specifically uh, about... Aha, uh-huh. uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Ant also knows about history. Oh, yeah. nope. So this is the Pancho Villa expedition, uh, which was a punitive foray Ooh. by the US Somebody's into Mexico. reading his thesaurus. <laughs> uh, to deal with a troublesome rebel. Mm-hmm. His name is Pancho Villa. Okay. That's the name Villa. That's, that's the name of the uh, or the rebel. Um, and this is this trouble between uh, the U.S. and Pancho Villa had been growing since about October 1915, when the U.S. government officially recognised Villa's rival ally, a guy called Venustiano Carranza, as head of the government in Mexico. And then the U.S. followed up by recognising him uh, with uh, pro- also providing him rail transportation in the from the uh, within the U.S. from Eagle Pass in Texaco. It, it, Texaco. <laughs> <laughs> Texaco is a service station in America. Yeah. So yes, yeah. Yeah. from Eagle Pass in Texas. Yeah, Texas, <laughs> which is part of. United States of America yeah. to Douglas, Arizona. So uh, basically, helping um, the th- this other guy's Mexican forces. They just gave him like rail fare, g- g- uh, giving him and all his troops. They gave him like a URL pass, okay, giving his so five thousand troops um, rail transportation to move rapidly across and sa- in safety to try and outflank uh, Pancho Villa. And that- so the Pancho Villa's rival exactly. is supported by the U.S. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So basically, there'd been an ongoing um, civil war, effectively, in, in Mexico for uh, about five years. Years, and then the US finally picked a side and backed the other side that wasn't Pancho Villa. Yeah. Um, and, th- and then gave him gave him logistical support. And then, uh, unsurprisingly, because of this support, uh, Villa then lost the Battle of uh, Agua Prieta, which is a big, decisive battle, and basically lost the whole... Um, any any prospect of being able to take over Mexico with his forces. Okay. Yeah. So as a result of that, um, he was naturally feeling like somewhat betrayed mm. by the US by all of this. And so Villa began attacking US nationals and property in northern Mexico mm. in reprisal. And then on the 26th of November 1915, Villa sent a force to attack the city of Nahales uh, and in the ensuing battle uh, engaged the American forces that were, were there uh, before withdrawing. And then in January 20, uh, 1916, um, 16 American employees of the American Smelting and Refining Company were removed from a train. What did they do? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Were they smelters or refiners? It makes a big difference. (laughs) Uh, These people were smelters. Okay. (laughs) Well, whoever smelt it. Oh gosh, almighty! Gets shot by Pancho Villa. Yeah, so they was they were stripped and executed. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh. Oh. Um, so they 
they were indeed dealt it. <laughs> and oh, no. You look like a terrible person. <laughs> And then in in March 1916, finally, uh, Villa's troops attacked Columbus, New Mexico and Camp Furlong, uh, which is there, which is the US Army post there with about 240 soldiers stationed there. Uh, And um, as a result of that attack, 10 civilians and eight soldiers on the US side were killed. And the raiders burnt basically the whole town. They stole some horses and some mules, um, seized a bunch of machine guns and then fled back to Mexico. And Villa's forces had also taken a bunch of people dead. They took about 67 dead and dozens more wounded for because the US had machine mm-hmm. guns which they weren't like well weren't, yeah weren't. I'm assuming the US then just kind of left them alone they said okay fine fair is fair we're quits now then the US built a wall and made Mexico pay for it is that, <laughs> that's typically the next step no this was more active Oh, <laughs> so it's fair to say by this point that the US were pretty pissed by yeah. this whole situation so the next day the southern department of the army um, there's a commanding general there called uh, General Funston uh, <laughs> Okay, sorry, that's a very dumb name. <laughs> and he, he recommended the immediate pursuit uh, back into Mexico of the force that had attacked mm. uh, attacked America. Yeah. And so when Woodrow Wilson concurred uh, and asked a guy called General Pershing to uh, command the force, who uh, later led troops in Europe. I was going to say, he's very, yeah, he's yeah, famous. He's very famous. Yeah. yeah, he's a big name, big name. Okay. Um, so this, uh, and uh, w- uh, Woodrow Wilson, when uh, releasing a statement to the press later that day, said... An adequate force will be sent at once in pursuit of Veer with the single object of capturing him and putting a stop to his forays. Yeah, so he is like, he's probably our most academic president ever. I think he was the president of Princeton before he was the president of the US. Is that right? I think so. So anyway, he's, you know, he speaks like that all the time. Wilson went on, This can and will be done in entirely friendly aid to the constituted authorities in Mexico and with scrupulous respect for the sovereignty of that republic. Uh, and of course, but the, the truth here was that the US was unilaterally invading yeah, that invading country. Me- yeah. So it's like, it's not that respectful of the sovereignty. Yeah, you could say but the same you, thing about like... But if you y- use enough fancy words, right. then people won't know. If you say it's respectful, yeah. then respectfully yeah, respectful. invade yeah. your country. Yeah. Exactly. So it wasn't obviously, it was, therefore it wasn't that simple and uh, even though they were going to go and quell this rebellion by Via, basically they were just sauntering into Mexico and pissing off everyone on every side in the whole Mexican conflict. Um, and um, and anyway, so Pershing assembled this for an expeditionary force for 8,000 people and they uh, they marched over the border and they set up base in Chihuahua State and then they would then send out columns in lots of different directions to try and find Pancho Villa and his forces. And, um, the, uh, and Villa by this stage had a six-day head start on the mm. pursuit. Uh, but he was still <laughs> caught. His he wasn't caught personally, but his his forces were caught up with very very quickly. And there are a bunch of um, att- attacks from the U.S. cavalry columns onto his forces after they'd like recklessly basically stopped to attack another garrison yeah, so they didn't yeah. need to do mm. um, and then there are a whole series of encounters between the two sides so as the US columns pushed deeper into Mexico uh, they, were, they kept on encountering some of Villa's forces but then the deeper they went the more they pissed off the Carranza government which is the other yeah, side yeah, in Mexico yeah, yeah. <laughs> who they had earlier back who they had earlier back yeah okay so yeah. they're just winning a lot of friends this, in yeah Mexico. exactly uh, and uh, and eventually it started to get really messy so on the on April 12th 1916 uh, a guy called uh, Major Frank Tom 
Tompkins, who's part of the expeditionary force, um, had a, ga- a group of about 128 men, and they were attacked by an, es- an estimated 500 Mexican troops from the Carranza's side. Well, right, okay, so they'd weighed in. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. they basically. I mean, in yes, wow, like, yeah. yeah. Um, and the US then was desperate to try and avoid this straight up engagement between them and, and they, the government of the country and, they had invaded. Right, right. <laughs> because they didn't want like an outright full on yeah. war, which of course they've previously in American history had with Mexico. Yeah. And uh, and so uh, as a result, there a couple of Americans were killed and the, the Karen Sisters lost about 14 uh, on their side. But basically it was a low level skirmish. But it was enough of a problem that the Americans were just like, okay, yeah, we yeah, just yeah. need to calm this down yeah, now. Yeah. Um, so, they, so the US slowed everything down. They're a bit more chill in how they went about operations like smaller columns a bit more static oh, um, yeah. and uh, and they tried to like get some diplomacy going with the Mexi- with the mexicans who are now like proper pissed proper pissed yeah <laughs> um so the patrolling continued and uh, there were still some clashes but it was all a bit lower key and then carranza's government basically said to the americans okay get out of Mexico now yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or we will kick you out by force and we don't care whether you're trying to attack the rebels or not just like just leave yeah. um, and so Pershing steadily re- re- withdrew further and further north and the Mexican forces were clashing with them now at this point every few days wow. um, and so in a way it's like it's just very reminiscent of America's later behaviour of yeah. just like finding itself embroiled in these unexpectedly very complicated mm-hmm. situations we um, just want to spread <laughs> democracy yeah, yeah. sure <laughs> and yeah, and conduct occasional punitive expeditions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't have one without the other. <laughs> so, so by this stage, they're really just trying to get out as soon as possible while saving face. Mm. Uh, and the whole thing about like capturing Pancho Villa and making him pay for what he did was just yeah. kind of forgotten yeah. by this point. Um, and so Pershing was finally ordered to completely withdraw on January 18th, 1917. And overall, the expedition managed to uh, um, hit many of Villa's important subordinates. They they killed about 170 of the men who had attacked Columbus originally. Okay. Well. Um but it it failed to capture to capture Via and uh but on the other hand, Via's troops never actually attacked America again. So it's one okay. of these like ambiguous outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe wasn't really worth it, but kind of worth uh, it kind of thing. Put up a mission accomplished banner. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> there definitely was a mission accomplished banner. But they got away without provoking a full scale war with Mexico as yeah. well. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so obviously they, the Americans claim victory. The Mexicans claim victory for pushing them out. Um, and then in a massive context switch, of course, only three months later, the US weighed into the First World War. Yeah. And is that right? Three months later? Uh, yeah, April. Yeah. But are you going to talk about the Zimmerman telegram at all? Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to talk about Zimmerman Telegram. Would okay. you like to? Well, uh, I might get it wrong, but basically, the Zimmerman Telegram was Germany sending a telegram to Mexico saying, "If you join our side and we win, we'll give you back the American Southwest." Yeah. So, like that <laughs> probably sounded pretty good to Mexico at this point, mm. having just repelled the Americans from their territory. Did, did they ever get the Southwest? The yeah, they took it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why if you go to California, you have to bring your passport. Ah. Okay. Thanks for joining us. That is everything you'd ever need to know about the year 1917. All right, so all that's left to do is for us to get a new year from the random number generator, hopefully one that is less full of history <laughs> and more full of goofy stuff. Will, can you, um, can you beseech the RNG to grant us a wish? Absolutely. 
I'm just stuffing it full of alien currency. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a pachinko wow, machine. Wow, Bork Bucks. Yeah, yeah. Bork Bucks. <laughs> just going to... Okay, good for you. Got that cash to splash. <laughs> and next week's year is... 1430. 1430. The, the year okay. America was discovered. <laughs> um, nope. <laughs> nope. The year... First Easter egg. The first Easter egg was discovered. You'll have to tune in and find out. <laughs> All right, 14.30. Cool. Going to be great. See you next week. Toodle Bye. Pip. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.